we will be in an interesting portion of Exodus chapter 4 today. But before we get right into Exodus 4, I would guess that in this room or watching online are a lot of planners. Just talk with, the, talk with you guys enough to know that you plan out details, you know where you're going, you generally have your itinerary, you can follow things, you know, hey, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this. And so probably a good amount of planners, <coughs> people who want to know how everything will work out. So hey, how will this happen? Or when we go on vacation, what are we going to do on Tuesday, like day three of our vacation? So what Tuesday we're going to do, we're going to have breakfast here, lunch here, dinner here. It's probably going to cost us about this much, which means we're going to have $20 left over to go get ice cream afterwards or whatever it might be. You have that done, every meal, budgeted the last dollar, and it just, it's like this nice cathartic thing that you do to feel like you have some modicum of control over this world. At the same time, over planning, maybe, I don't, I don't want to cause any marital strife here. At the same time though, over planning can really get in the way of just doing the next thing. What's the next thing? And so we want to know what's going to happen. And this is like the, the employers love to ask this question, like where do you see yourself in five years or in ten years? And, you know, I don't know if anybody who's answered that question five years later has been like, see, did it, and it crushed it. I'm awesome. Like it's like <clears throat> we ask it. I think people just want to go, do you have a plan for your life? But we actually don't follow up on if you followed it. But we worry about what's going to happen five years, ten years, fifteen years, how our kids turn out, how our grandkids turn out. We don't even have grandkids yet. We're only eight. Right? And like all these things that'll come on. And that over planning can really, really frustrate us when it just comes to doing what's next. I mean, think about when we were in the Sermon on the Mount series, and Jesus taught his disciples to pray this prayer give us this day our daily bread. And and what we spoke about in that moment was just just that daily dependence upon God. And as Christians who follow the way of Jesus and have heard the warnings in Scripture and realize that over-planning doesn't help, that God has things before us even today, He has ways He wants us to walk with Him even today, He has things He has revealed to us from His Word to do even today, we really need to focus on just being faithful in that. Just, just in the next thing. Not next week's thing, the next thing. It's, uh, I sometimes joke about this. I, when I teach in other places, sometimes I'm a little looser than when I'm in this specific space. Because it's just, the Sunday morning pulpit congregational thing is just different. So I'm a little looser in those environments. Uh, but I'll make jokes, and I'm going to really just tone down my jokes for you guys, for this audience. But... It's like people who aspire to be a leader in a church uh, who are also really bad husbands. Like, well, the Lord has given you one thing, and you're wanting the next thing, but it's, it's being this person that's going get to that, get you in that direction. You don't aspire to something later in life while neglecting what God has put before you and what God has asked of you in the moment. That's a big problem that we have is we're like, I want to be seen as somebody who's really on it, can really like be on my game. And it's like, are you just 
following the Lord. I had a great conversation with a friend just a couple of weeks ago. And I get this question sometimes, which is like, what does the, what do you as a pastor want from a, a church member? Like, where could I be serving or what could I be doing? I was like, honestly, really just would love your presence and your servant heart. Like, I don't have a really long list. Show up, serve others, we're good. Be glad, pray for me, pray for us. We can work with that. You know, it's not like, well, we really, really need you to be a, you know, <clears throat> every second Tuesday morning Bible study leader. Like, that's not, that's not where I usually lead. I'm like, just want you to be faithful. I want you to obey what God has put before you. Because we walk by faith, not by sight. That's, that's what the Lord's given us. So faith kind of demands that there are things that are going to come in our lives that we're unsure of. But we know what God has revealed. We know that he is faithful. We know that he's promised certain things. We know what is true as revealed in his word, right? We, we know what we can hold on to, the scriptures, what we can hold on to. So we have ways to respond when we don't see or understand at all. So how do we walk obediently in what God has called us to do? And there's just some things that this passage today, Exodus 4, 18 through 31, can help us with. How do we walk obediently in what God has called us to do? And I like this passage because it really is transitional. What I mean by that is, is we've kind of followed the story of Moses. Now in chapter 3, Moses was given a, a, a commission by God. That continued into the first 17 verses of chapter 4. So that burning bush, 3-1 through 4-17, that whole exchange is happening. And now we're about to go to, back to Egypt. We're, we're going to get there right at the end. But now we're kind of in this spot where it's like, okay, you... You've told me something. you told me what's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. So what do I do in between? Well, he's got to get there. And so it's interesting that as he gets there, there, there's things that God reminds Moses of. There's a way that Moses has acted in disobedience that the Lord is angry with him for. And then when he goes and he does what God has put before him, that next thing God has put before him, there's a response from the people. They respond well to it. So there's a kind of a call that God gives. There's a recognition of who God is versus who we are. There's a, our obedience in the process, and there's a kind of an end result. All that happens in Exodus 4, 18 through 31. I'm going to read the whole passage because it's not super long this morning. I'm going to read the whole passage in one movement, and then we'll go kind of bit by bit. Exodus 4, starting in verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. The Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. Remember, he killed an Egyptian, and so they were angry with him. So that's why he fled in the first place, but it's been 40 years. So Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey, and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Remember, that was a sign of power. So he's bringing this sign that he will be using as he goes. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power. There were three. There was the staff to a snake. There was the hand to leprous. And back again, there was the water of the Nile into blood. Be sure you do all those works. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. 
If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah, that was his wife, Moses' wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. That's the part we didn't read in the kid's story. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A a bridegroom of blood, because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him the mountain of God, and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the, words of the Lord with, uh, all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all these words the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited his people... Of Israel, and that they had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Will you pray with me? Father, we need your guidance, your assistance through this passage. Thank you for the book of Exodus and what it teaches us. Be gracious with us this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we have our passage, 18 through 31. And you go, okay. He gets his family. He goes back. The Lord gives him a reminder of what he's going to do. Bizarre circumcision story. Then they get to Egypt. Like, like, Why these movements in between the commission to go to Egypt and getting to Egypt? Why, why all of this? Well, remember we're talking about how God has commanded, what God has commissioned, and what are we to do? And you can actually see just in those first three verses, 18, 19, and 20, that what Moses does just to, just to leave Midian is just to go where you know you must go. That's the first thing he does, just go where you know you So he has a place to go, Egypt. So he goes back to his father. Now remember, he's been working for Jethro for decades now. He's in the family business, so he's been a, a shepherd for his father-in-law, and so he's about to lose his best employee. Maybe he's his best employee. I don't know. For those of you who are in family business, we'll see. So he went back to his father-in-law. He said, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see if they're still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go. The Lord confr- or, uh, confirms that you know, there might be fear in Moses' heart. Well, last time I went there, I was on a wanted poster, so if I, if I go again, is that going to be bad for me? So the Lord just goes, everyone who's looking for you is dead. Don't worry about that. So what did God put before Moses? But just get back there. Right? Just get back there. It's a little different than when in the book of Acts during Paul. Now, uh, Paul was a guy who persecuted Christians. You may have heard of him before, right? He persecuted Christians killed them, was on his way to go find more Christians to kill, and the Lord meets him. And then there's a disciple that he talks to, and the Lord actually gives him a street name. Like, go to Straight Street, and you're going to find Saul there. He's been blinded, but you're going to have him recover his sight. So those are pretty specific, like GPS. The Lord gave GPS directions to right there in the book of Acts. Well, here it's just get back to Egypt. 
Get on back to Egypt. Go to the elders of the people. I'm not going to give you a street. Just go back to your people and do that. So he gets the permission, and the Lord gives him that commission one more time, and he leaves with his family. Now, so many times, for you and for me, we do feel as if we have to know every detail of what's going on. But what does Moses do? I'm going to get my family, and I'm going to go. That's what I'm going to do. Now, interestingly, his family somehow, then they kind of get back, like they, they head back to Midian, and they're not really, not really sure why. We know that they move on their way to Egypt, but then later we find that they're not all there again. Um, it could be because of Moses' life being taken. We're not really sure, but we know as it begins, we're all going. We're all going to get there. The Lord has given Moses this commission. So it's go to Egypt. And this is all part of how God is redeeming his people, Israel, which is the promise that he gave. I mean, you will find, if you just want to do an exercise, read through the first few chapters of the book of Exodus and circle all the times you see God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You will see that all over the place. Why? Because God is saying, I've given my people a promise. This promise was way before Moses. I didn't give Moses the promise. The promise was given to Abraham. And so I am staying true to the promise that I gave and the direction that I gave. I am staying faithful to that. You will see that throughout this book. Every time there's a confrontation, it's Abraham, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You keep finding that. And so what Moses knows is God has given a commission to him. And that the Lord is going to free the people from the land. That's enough. That's enough. He runs into, starting even next week, he runs into frustration. Because maybe he, he assumed it was going to go away that it didn't. Maybe he assumed, well, I'm going to get there, I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to do it. And then, you know, everyone's going to be like, you got it, get out of here, Egypt or Israel, I don't need you anymore. And that's not what happens. And so first try is met with frustration. But in this moment, here in chapter 4, it's just the next thing, just get there. So often, I think this is true for the disciple today, so often we are looking for this specific thing that God would have us do. And we work really hard at it. We're like, okay, i got to find out like, the specific, like, who is the person I must marry? What is the college that I must go to? What, what, what is the specific house I must live in? And we're looking for all, like, all these specific things that God would have for us. And I'm like, God has revealed a lot of things that all of us are supposed to do. Maybe we should focus on the clear things and not focus on the ambiguous ones. But it's like we get really excited about the ambiguous ones. Like, really excited. It's like, oh, man, yeah, I really just, I want God to give me a word that, that I know that this is the place we're supposed to be or this is the thing we're going to do. I tell you the truth. I had a friend who, who was taking a next, next step into what God did. I'll briefly talk about it maybe next week. I asked him for his permission. He got into a ministry opportunity. He was fired in nine months, moved his whole family to go plant a church. Nine months later, out of a job. Nine months later, out of a job, right? So you don't know what might come on the back end of that next step. But what do you do know? It's good to plant churches. It's good to do ministry. I need to step out in faith. So what is he being faithful to in that moment? What he knows. God, from what you have revealed, it is good to make disciples. The world needs new churches. 
have this opportunity. I'm going to lose money. I'm going to lose relationships. I'm going to lose connections. I'm going to lose stability. I'm going to lose all those things, but I'm going to get there. And then he loses his job. Does he regret it? No. Why? Because he knew what God had revealed, and he knew where he was, and he was just stepping into the next thing. And that's what we need to be able to do. Just step into the next thing. Don't step into 50 next things. Don't step into go, well, I need to know how it's all going to work out. i got to get the, you know, the diagram right, the choose your own adventure. I need to make sure all those things are right. Just go to the next place. If God has made it clear, step into it. If it's in his word, you don't even really need to bicker over it. <laughs> Should I be more loving? Yes. Should I be more forgiving? Absolutely. You will never outforgive God. So yes. Should I be more generous? You should. Like, there are things you just don't have to go, well, I really need to know this, Lord. <laughs> because he's made it clear. So the Lord has revealed this next step to Moses. Moses goes. Now, in 21 through 23, there's this important thing that goes on, which is the recognition of roles. This happens a lot as the Lord speaks to Moses. 21 through 23, we're like this. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back, see to it that you do before Pharaoh, all the miracles that I have put in your power. So you do all the things that I have given you power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So we have both foreshadowing here of what is to come, but we also have a good delineation of who's doing what. And all this fear sometimes that we feel to go, I might screw this up. We said this last week, you can't, you can't screw it up beyond what God can redeem. And so when you look at the differences in this language, we see that the Lord has been the one to commission. We don't commission. The Lord commissions. He said, Moses, you go. Not only that, Moses is to do something. He's to go before Pharaoh. He's to demonstrate God's power. But what does the Lord say? All the miracles I have put in your power. He didn't say to Moses, hey, just go at it. Just you know, conjure up some cool things and do it. He said, do the things I have essentially empowered you to do. So is that Moses or is that the Lord? Yeah, it's the Lord's power and it's Moses' obedience. Right? But it's, it's, he can't do what the Lord hasn't empowered him to do. He has to do what the Lord has empowered him to do. So Moses need not call an audible. Well, I'm going to try him. Rather than do that, I'm going to juggle in front of him, right? Like, he's not going to do any of that. The Lord gave him signs to do. So Moses is obeying, but God is giving the power. Then we have this statement on hardening hearts. Now, I know we might be like, well, we really got to talk about that right now. You're going to see this phrase a lot, so we're not going to get a treatise on the Lord hardening hearts every single Sunday. Because you're going to keep seeing it. Like, I don't want to just you know, shoot my shot right now. we got plenty of that. But here's what you need to know right now. Is that God is all powerful. Proverbs say it like this. The king's hearts are like waters in the hands of the Lord. He steers them wherever he pleases. And so we can recognize in this interaction. That God stands above all. He is powerful Above all. 
People might ask questions like, well, what about in this situation or in this situation? And the thing is, because you'll find as this story goes on, there are times where, Mo, where Pharaoh hardens his heart, and there's times where it says the Lord hardens his heart. This whole thing is going on. But what do we know about Pharaoh is that Pharaoh is in this. He's the anti-God. He's the one who tries to be self-sufficient, all-powerful, do it all himself. And the Lord is essentially going, watch. He's none of these things. He's none of these things. And he's already said that Pharaoh will only drive out Israel with a, with a firm hand. So there has to be some opposition to Pharaoh before we even get to that spot where they're sent out. So again, the Lord is the one who is creating the conditions in which Moses will minister. He's doing that. This is important for us. We'll talk about this more next week because when Moses gets before Pharaoh, he is not met gladly. It's like, oh, sure, Moses, I'll go ahead and let everybody go. I'm so glad that you came. I was just thinking, let go of my labor force. And now that you've said this, clearly this is what God has for me. No, instead what he does in chapter 5 is he says, I don't know your God. I don't really care. And watch, I'm going to make their lives more miserable and it's going to be your fault. That's what he ends up doing. With a move of governmental brilliance, he makes life miserable for the Israelites and for Moses as their leader. But the Lord is setting up what is to come, which is the powerful, only God can do it, redemption of his people. So we have the Lord who has commissioned, we have the Lord who has empowered Moses, we have the Lord who is creating the conditions in Pharaoh's heart for this. And then Moses is given something else in verse 22. You shall say to Pharaoh. And then look, wait, look, at, look at how it's worded. You shall say, thus says the Lord. Right? It's not you shall say, hey, Pharaoh, like, I really like these people. They're my people. Remember 40 years ago I killed an Egyptian over. Like, you don't, you don't make it about you. You make it about me and what I said I was going to do. You make it about me. So I am the one that gave you the commission. I'm the one that gave you command. So you don't, you don't eat your words. You tell them what I told you. And this is so important for us, especially in the work of evangelism, because I think we get really nervous about screwing up. How, how do we talk to somebody about Jesus? How, how do we have a conversation with somebody? Or, or, or when, when do we get it wrong? Or I really got to be sure I get everything right. And this is what you get to do, though, is you just get to make it about God. You just get to make it about God. Now, there are times, in, for example, in preaching. You, you've experienced this environment with me long enough. You know I say some stupid things at times. I have some takebacks. Willie, don't laugh too loud. I don't need that, man. I, I heard that from up here, and it wasn't even that loud. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. So I've said some things. That you go, ah, I probably shouldn't have said it like that. But here's the great thing about preaching, or when you're just speaking of God, or when you're teaching, is you just get to go, I don't think that problem's between you and me necessarily, unless, of course, I did something goofy. You gotta go to the Lord and go, what's going on here? And there's so much more freeing, because I think sometimes we get concerned that somebody's gonna get mad at us about talking to them about our Lord, and how they can be free. And we get nervous that it's, it's, a, it's, it's they're judging us for it, but they're not really judging us, they're judging the Lord. That's, that's a pretty significant problem. 
So Moses' job is not to try and make it about himself. He's not there to try and say, I feel like it would be good if you did this. He just goes and he stands before Pharaoh and he declares what God said. Christian, don't worry about who God has put in your path or in your community group. Am I going to say the right thing or am I going to screw this up? If you continually point it back to the Lord and make it about the things that he has said, you'll be fine. Will the theologians in the room sometimes go, well, I don't know, I could take it like that? Sure, fine, have fun with that. But God has made himself abundantly clear. You don't have to worry or run from what he said. He will use that. He will use that. So as you look at it, you realize there's a lot going on with what God has done. There's a lot going on with what we do, but really it's all about just doing the things God has said. In fact, as he continues to speak, thus says the Lord, he uses this language, Israel is my firstborn son, which is to both highlight the significance of what he will do with Pharaoh. These are my first, this is my firstborn son. If you don't let them go, I'm taking yours. That's again showing his power. But who ultimately, as we reveal through history, who is the Lord's son? Right? He has the son. Son, the Word, Jesus. And so we need to recognize that there's a relationship through the Son that children of God get to have. And that the Lord, at this time and at this place, with this nation, they're His people. They're His nation. And the Lord is about to show up powerfully to the nation that opposes them. And it's not going to be without warning, Pharaoh, because he's warning throughout. Israel is my firstborn son. Firstborn's an important one. Now, my, my firstborn son, he doesn't get like a double portion of the inheritance. Unfortunately, sorry, buddy. He doesn't get more money, doesn't get more stuff. But throughout history, the firstborn... That's a, that is a place of status, power, recognition of relationship. And so the Lord is showing his unique relationship with Israel. We realize later in salvation history, the Son, Jesus, reveals the Father. And we also see what's coming with that tenth plague, which is the death of the firstborn. All of that in that statement. Now, that's a pretty intense thing to bring before Pharaoh. The Lord says he's going to take your firstborn son. And you'll find in chapter 5, and as you read, you'll find Moses getting bugged, upset, frustrated with the things he's saying and the way that Pharaoh is responding. And the Lord really continues to be gracious by saying, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. Go before him and just say it. Now for us, our focus needs to always be on what we can do 
and not on what the Lord can do. We trust the Lord to do what the Lord can do. And our focus is to obey the things that he has revealed. Specifically, when it comes to conversion, you think you might have laid out the best gospel presentation to somebody in the world, and you have addressed every single concern that they've had. They listed their 27 doubts, and you hit every 27 doubts with the best proof text, and you're just waiting for them to crumble like the walls of Jericho and going, I believe, I believe, and you're waiting for that moment, and you get done with it, and they go, I don't care. I don't care. Is salvation your work? Yeah, that's not your work. Is the changing of a heart something you have the power to do? Anybody who has been in any relationship, friend, spouse, kids, kids worker, community group leader, you have realized right quick that you can't control a lick of somebody's heart. You can try and create laws to make it look like you can, but you can't control the heart. So what can you do? What has God made clear? You can serve the widows in your life. Make sure they have food. Make sure they're provided for. Make sure they have transportation they need. Make sure they have somebody to talk to. You can do that. You can write the note to the coworker going through a difficult time and showing them, telling them how Jesus is sufficient, that you're praying for them, that you care about them. You can do that. You can speak to your friends at school about your hope in Christ. You can tell them that he is sufficient. You can talk to your neighbor about what the Lord has done for you what the Lord has said. You can do all those things and many more. You can't change a heart, but you can pray the Lord might change one. You can pray that he provides the opportunity to step in and speak up about how good he is. You can do those things. You can't reveal something new beyond what he has revealed. You can't change a heart. You can't force a conversion. You can't do any of those things. So rather, just be concerned about responding in obedience to what he has revealed and not trying to force something that he hasn't. For example, at Genesis, you could join a community group. That's not going to make you disciple par excellence necessarily, but you could join one and you get to discuss the passages, discuss the scriptures and talk about what God's doing. You can join us in our reading plan. You find these reading plans everywhere. We're trying to make it to where you can't leave this place without seeing a reading plan. Just join our reading plan with us because as you read, you are able to hear what God has revealed. The, The cool pastor trick that they don't teach you in seminary, which is really all you need, is that if you just keep pointing people to the scriptures, eventually good things come of it. And so, like, you just kind of go, hey, just read it. You know, just, read, just keep reading it. Keep reading it. That's fine. Discuss it. Read it. Read it. Talk about it. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe you're right. But, like, if you just kind of stay there and you create places and spaces where people can discuss the scriptures, you're good. <laughs> because it's not my, you know, magic skill set that's going to make somebody mature in the Lord. As much as I like to think it was, because, gosh, I went to a lot of school. But it really doesn't matter. And then we get to this weird passage. 
So we recognize, hey, we'll go where God has put us. We'll just do the next step. We recognize the roles that are different. God's going to do the work. I really just kind of stand in and say the things that he said, do the things that he's asked. That's what I'll do. And then we get to this weird spot. It's like this hotel visit where God now is about to get angry with Moses. Now look at this, verse 24. At, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. What? Zipporah, that's his wife, took a flint, cut off her son's foreskin, so circumcised her son, whoop-de-doo, like this is getting good, touched Moses' feet. Now it actually says his feet, so it could be the son or it could be Moses. Most translations are going to go with Moses and not the son because the Lord's anger is directed toward Moses, not the son. And so most would say Moses' feet, but it does say his and feet could be a euphemism for not feet, but we'll just roll with feet for now. And said, surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me. What in the world? The coolest thing is when you read a bunch of commentaries and they're like, oh no. Like that's what a lot of you are like. They're like, this is weird. Is it Moses? Is it his son? Is it his feet? Is it his not feet? Is it this? What does bridegroom of blood mean to me? Or mean here? So I'll give you... A standard kind of way of looking at this, which is first, remember that God gave not Moses, but Abraham the covenant of circumcision. That God's people were to be marked through circumcision. Moses is an Israelite, though he was raised in Egypt. Because he was raised in Egypt, maybe the rite of circumcision wasn't in that moment as important to him. So, these years go by, he has, he has multiple children, but in this instance, his son here is not circumcised. He has not given his son the mark of the covenant that God told his people to have. In one, one little commentary I was reading on this, it goes, clearly it seems from Zipporah's quick action that they've talked about this before. Almost seems like that, like, like, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, I don't know what kind of conversations, but she's quick to go, I know why this is. And so she, the Midianite wife, gives her son the mark of circumcision and then uses this line, you're a bridegroom of blood to me, which, which is, depending on how, how you look at it, if, you, if, it's, if it's the son that she's holding the foreskin up to, which I'm sorry I keep using these words, they're in the Bible. If it's the son, then she's saying to her son, we're redeeming you back into the family through this act. If she's saying it to Moses, and I still think she's saying it to Moses, there's a statement of, hey, through this, we're kind of making it right. Right? We're, we're, we're cleansing this moment. We're making it right. And then you can see in verse 26, so he left him alone. I think that is, so the Lord left Moses alone. So right here in these few verses, we get a bizarre interaction between the Lord and Moses. Because right, the, like, the Lord picked Moses. This is, Mo, like, like, this is the Lord's guy. He's going to go. He's given him power. He's given him signs and wonders to give before the elders of Israel. And, and then not only that, but he's, he's said, you're going to go before Pharaoh with your brother Aaron. And you're going to declare all these things. And right after he gives this declaration in verse 23 about how he's going to kill the firstborn son of Pharaoh, he flips around and he's angry at Moses. Why the big jump from 23 to 24? Why that transition in language and in God's 
temperament and his disposition towards Moses, his guy. But if you think about it, what is God concerned about? It begins with an O. Obedience. What has Moses neglected throughout this entire interaction with the Lord, even though he's an Israelite, what has he not done? Given his children the mark of the covenant that the Lord has given. He didn't do it. And so when you put that into the perspective of all that's going on, could it not be Moses can't just assume because he's on, quote-unquote, the winning team, he's an Israelite, that he somehow is exempt from obeying even in what seemed to be the smallest of things? That the Lord is so concerned about Moses' obedient to the covenant through circumcision that he's angry with him and in fact won't let him go on to Egypt until he deals with what's going on at home. This is why... Our obedience, even in the smallest things as we pursue the mission to make disciples of all nations, is so important. When we neglect to give attention to what God has said to do, assuming that, that we'll just kind of go on this mission and be good, and we just forget, no, God has given us, he's given our people a mark. And we need to do that. And he doesn't do it. Being on the winning side doesn't remove your need to examine your heart, pursue holiness, and honor the Lord. You can feel in this this expectation still. A significant expectation that God has for Moses to be walking rightly with him. Now, there's this passage, it's interesting. If you look at the qualifications for elders, I just was reading this and again in another comment on this passage, which is very helpful. The qualifications for elders, one of them is, now remember elders, I'm talking New Testament elders, not Israelite elders, so we're fast forwarding a bit. But one of the qualifications for an elder is be able to manage his household well. Because if he can't manage his own household well, then he can't manage the household of God. Do you see what's going on here? The Lord is frustrated with Moses for a domestic issue. One that the Israelites would never know. It would have been in the family. He's frustrated with Moses, angry with Moses about not obeying and marking his son as a part of the, of the nation. So that even these, what might be private moments of obedience, are significant for the Lord. Even these ways of, of doing that. Not going, the application is not everybody go circumcise your children. Right? We have the Lord. Different, <laughs> different era, under grace, right? Not an Israelite, a different thing. But the concern for how you obey and the purity that you pursue... And the fact that you need to still be, in the, in, in, even in the private moments, be honoring the Lord. Before you ever dare think you can honor the Lord in the public moments. Right? Who you are there in private moments 
is going to be the foundation upon which you stand in the public moments. That's significant. And so you still have to pursue those moments of obedience and go, God, what do, you, what do you have for me? The things that nobody else might see, nobody else might know. Because what starts to happen, you see this with pastors who fall, right? They fall publicly because they've not dealt with what's going on privately. They haven't pursued obedience here. And so though it looks like they have great fruit out here, you might have heard this phrase before, right? Their success takes them to a place their character can't sustain them. You're going to go before, the, before Pharaoh on behalf of the Lord and not have obeyed something God has made clear even to Abraham? Can't do that. Can't do that. And this is why I, I do, I encourage... It, Anyone who is a believer here today, pursue baptism. If you've not been baptized, pursue baptism. The, Lord, the Lord's made it clear. Those who follow him should be baptized in him. We don't, we don't mark, we don't have the same kind of mark as some do, which is uh, circumcision is to baptism as the mark of the covenant. Old Testament is to New Testament. That's not how we would take it in Genesis. But we say the Lord has made it clear that you should Identify yourself with his person and work. So if you have trust in Jesus, but you haven't pursued baptism, pursue that next step of obedience. It could be at five years down the road, 10 years walking with Jesus, 15 years walking with Jesus, but pursue it. Because what happens, and maybe this happened to Moses, I don't know, but what happens is kind of time goes on and we go, well, it's been okay. We've been fine. But obedience isn't about whether or not you get out unscathed. It's about honoring the Lord and what he's revealed. So that's what we pursue. And then I love the end, 27 through 31, because they finally get there. All this weird stuff on the way, they finally get there. And this is all I want to say about it, is they worship God for his care. They see how he's cared. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him in the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which he had uh, sent him to speak and all the signs he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke the words the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people what? What's that word? And the people believed. The people believed, and when they heard the Lord had visited his people, that he'd had concern for, that language of visit is turned and looked and heard, he had visited, came to his people, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. When you realize that God has met you, that God has concern for you, that God sent his son for you, There is a right response. It is to worship that God who cares. All the planning, all the things you might think about, well, what if, what if, what if, doesn't matter. Because what do you know? For you in the room, the Son came into this world. He died for your sins. He rose from the dead. 
He is alive today, and through faith in him, your sins can be forgiven. The Lord has visited. The Lord has heard. The Lord cares. And he is due our worship. God has made enough clear that we don't need to go running around on specifics. We don't have to wonder. We worship. We pursue. We rejoice. We follow. We honor. We obey. We read. Where we realize something has become clear, we pursue it with joy. In his power, which he has given us. Not by our strength, but by his. Not by our might, but by his. Because he's the one acting. He's the one powerful. That's what we get. That our obedience, even on the way, even in between, even on the journey, even on the road, our obedience in that moment matters. Before we get to that let my people go moment, there are so many other moments to obey, honor, and worship the Lord for what he has made clear.